Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. I invite the congregation to uh, be seated for just a moment as we set up this text today and to let you know there also will be a handout uh, at the welcome table that covers some of the things that we're going to be talking it has a scripture today that we're using as well uh, this is the launch of a new series uh, grounded and rooted or rooted and grounded paul's imagery that comes from ephesians chapter 3 and we're going to be unpacking not only the biblical significance of this in our lives but in the next five weeks also be lifting up for you all where we feel god's calling us as a church and what we're going to be doing in uh, refreshing our mission, our vision, and updating our discipleship characteristics. Now, Paul's writing the church at Ephesus where he spent several years. Uh, in, in chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians, Paul basically is giving glory to God that in Christ, God has brought his whole family together. Everybody. Through forgiveness, Paul appeals that whether to be Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. He speaks directly in five different instances to the power of the Trinity, mentioning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And while he does not use the word Trinity, he clearly speaks about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The overarching theme in chapter 2 is that Paul retells a story of people who had wandered and lived in the dark. Now, some way to look at the scripture is to see that it's a story of a God who's been so faithfully pursuing and loving his people, even though they've wandered and wandered and wandered. They have moments of faithfulness and moments of fickleness. But what he says is in Christ, everything that's expected of the law is fulfilled in Christ. And because of that and what Christ has done, everybody who responds to this love of Christ, who accepts this forgiveness, you know, you're a new family, he says. In chapter 2, he says, there's no Jew, no Gentile. You're all one family in Christ Jesus. So chapter 3 begins with Paul saying, for this reason. And then Paul is at times distracted because he starts off saying, for this reason. And then he goes on to have a little diatribe. And then he picks the, the, the image back up in verse 14, for this reason again. The reason that Paul's basing all he's about to say that you're going to hear is, is all the work that God has done on our behalf, all the work that God has done reaching towards us, all the ways in which Christ has reached towards you, offered forgiveness. And so we're going to unpack what this means for our life in Christ and the difference it can make for us. So I invite you to stand as you're able as we hear from the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Paul says, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and grounded or established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, 
and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let's pray together. May your spirit, O God, stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be transformed, molded, and become your words for your people. For we have gathered in the name of Christ, we seek to grow in the name of Christ, and we will depart and seek to serve in the name of Christ. And all of God's people did say, Amen. So I sound a little different this morning, so let's just go ahead and get this out of the way from the very beginning, and I'll let you know why. I had a little flare-up this week with some heart stuff, and I uh, had a procedure this week, and so I'm uh, bouncing back from that procedure and just sounded really cruddy. But good news is my procedure went just fine. Um, I had a little heart rhythm issue that they went and they fixed. They, you know, do their thing. It's really amazing, but it's crazy what they can do. I was talking to my cardiologist, Dr. Yao, and I said, you know, Dr. Yao, I mean, I, I'll do this, but we went in the ER, we got put in the hospital and all that stuff. And I said, Dr. Yao, I really need to make sure I can be there Sunday. I mean, I'm launching this new series. We're going to be looking at our updated missions and visions and discipleship characteristics and life of the church. Where this is really important to me. Uh, he said, you should be fine. I mean, all you do is stand there and talk, right? <laughs> now, I looked him dead in the eye and said, Dr. Yao. I don't just stand there and talk. I have to keep people awake while I talk too. <laughs> so I sound horrible. I feel good. But I sound horrible. It's just the effect of all the stuff of being intubated and all that stuff if you've ever been in. But I didn't want to miss today. There was no way I was going to miss today. There's no way I was going to miss today because we've been working and looking about what does it mean in the life of the church. And friends, as much as I had to see an intervention physiological cardiologist that does physiological electrology, whatever his name is, right? He put this charge and he bladed, he burned this spot in my heart. So now my heart's working like it should in the regular rhythm. But friends, let me tell you, each one of us has to have a heart touch from Christ. Every one of us has to have something that shapes and molds our lives. And what we believe, what God is calling every one of us to do, is to be in that personal relationship with Christ, to know what that looks like, to know the intimacy. Listen to the way that John Wesley said in 1742, as the group of people that were called Methodists, so methodic because they were methodic in looking at how they could surrender their lives and listen to the work of the Holy Spirit, Wesley says that if you're going to be a Methodist, it's a, it's a person that is a Christian, not in name only, and I'm throwing the slide changes to you up there, Kathy, but this is up there. It's a Christian not in name only, but in heart and life. He is inwardly and outwardly conformed to the will of God as revealed in the written word. He thinks, speaks, and lives according to the method of laid down in the revelation of Jesus Christ. His soul is renewed after the image of God in righteousness and in all true holiness. And having the mind that was in Christ, he so walks as Christ also walked. 
God is the joy of his heart and the desire of his soul. He is therefore happy in God, as having in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life and overflowing his soul with peace and joy. That was the characteristics. Friends, we are first and foremost grounded in our identity in Jesus Christ through the waters of our baptism. We are grafted in. We are brought in, as Paul says, this is the reason. Because of God's redemptive work, we are brought into the family of God. And we are brought in in such a way that when we recognize that, we can recognize what God has done on our behalf. If you look at the closing verse of this passage in Ephesians chapter 3, you will notice throughout this campus a phrase, more to life. It's the tagline. It really is based and grounded in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, because Paul says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his work that's at power in us. It's about what God has done and not us. That's why we say so often, we believe there is more to life in Christ. There's more to life than just the heartache. There's more to life than just the challenge. There's more to life than just the endless pursuit and hunger and scratching and scraping and trying to achieve a certain level of economic stability or social comfortableness. There's more to life in Christ. And we want to celebrate who we are and where we're going as a church. So I want to share with you what we're doing as we're going to be rooted and grounded in Christ. The first... As you leave, you will find, if you didn't pick up on the way in, there's a sheet that looks just like this, and all this information is there for you. This is information that's going to be presented to our December church conference. Each year we gather and we elect leaders, and we wanted to take a step back, and having had the same mission and vision and discipleship characteristics that have served us for the last 10 years, which has served us remarkably well. They brought us to where we are. But if you've been a part of any organization, it's time, from time to time, you need to update. You need to refresh. So there's not a substantial change in who we are. But there's a refreshing of it. And it's a focus that shifts directly into this heart of what Wesley's talking about, what Paul is talking about, the relationship aspect. Being a Christian is not religion, it's relationship. And refreshed is from this very core of who we are about being transformed in relationship with Christ. Here is our mission that we're recommending to adopt in December to carry us forward. The Board of Stewards has looked at this, has prayed over it, and this is where we have arrived. We are a community of faith that invites all people to experience Jesus' life-changing love that equips them to be and make disciples who go out in faith to transform the world. That's our mission. That's the refreshed mission. That we are a community. A community that invites everybody. Not just some people. Not just the ones that are here. But we are a community that invites every person to experience Jesus' life-changing love. That's the difference. You see, it's one thing to say within the culture that church should be a place that just welcomes everybody. Well, I get that. But friends, if you are welcomed and nothing changes in your life and who you are from the time you encounter in worship, in growth, and study, then when you leave, why are you here? All right, this is just an exercise in futility. We believe we encounter the living God who opens blind eyes, who, who makes literally 
comebacks from our setbacks, who takes our brokenness and makes us whole, who gives us hope when we're broken, who is the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. It is a God who meets us wherever we are, but so deeply loves us, he will not leave us where he finds us. There's a change that happens. In the Greek, it's called metanoia. In the biblical witness, it is called repentance. It means a turning. Every Sunday we gather, there should be a little bit of turning in our lives. Not from the old song that we grew up on, turn, 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 right? But from the sense that you turn your life away from your own desires to ask, God, what do you want of me? And we don't just come into this place and say, well, God, what do you want of me? But we, we believe that the church, the gathered community is in this place. And that changing love of God equips us through the power of the Holy Spirit to be and to make disciples. It's hard to make disciples if you aren't a disciple. And so we first invite you into a transforming relationship that every person who comes might leave something from what they bring in the outside world and leave with something new that God would provide. Our mission is to be a community of faith that invites every single person to experience the life-changing love of Jesus that equips them to be different, to be a disciple, to make a disciple. And you go out in faith to transform the world. Because if we are going to change the world, the world only changes collectively through the church as individuals in the church are willing to be changed. You see, say it this way, the church can't go together where each of us isn't willing to go individually as a follower of Christ. Now, how are we going to do that? Here's our vision of how we're going to do that. To meet everyone where they are in the love of Christ. It's clear. We're going to meet every person where they are in the love of Christ. Doesn't matter what you wear, who you are, we're going to meet you where you are in the love of Christ. But meeting where you are, we want to connect people to Christ and one another. We want to encourage everyone to grow in their faith and to go out into the world serving and sharing Christ's love. Do you see the theme? Do you see how it's building? That we meet people where they are, who they are. But if we're going to be transformed, we want to invite people in that relationship with Christ that transforms them to be rooted and grounded in love so they might know the height, the depth, the breadth, and the width of the love of Christ, the one who's do, able to do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. It's a God who does things that we can't even comprehend. And when that happens, everyone grows in their faith. But it's just not about gathering to grow. We gather, we grow, but we are sent to serve and to share Christ's love. That's our vision. Now, what are our discipleship characteristics? Discipleship characteristics, and then some churches will call these the, the core values, right? We're going to call them discipleship characteristics because that's what we have done, and we wanted to build on that point of reference which is consistent. Here are our discipleship characteristics. Now, things, the things that would be representative characteristics of being a disciple of Christ in this community of faith. First and foremost, to profess Jesus Christ as Lord. That's the first and foremost thing that we're going to gather. We gather as a distinctive people in the world, and we would profess 
you confess your sins, you profess what you believe. And so what we believe is Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, why is that important? Because what we say in the church is that Christ is the Lord of my life. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to say Christ is Lord of my life? I was in a conversation last year with someone, and I said, what does that mean to you? And they said, well, not Lord of everything, but just someone that I could consult if I have an important decision to make. <clears throat> and I had to say, it's actually the opposite. It's the, that's the, actually the opposite. It's, the, it's just the opposite of that. It, yes, every decision you make, that you profess that Christ is Lord of your life, all of your life. Secondly, to believe in and study the Bible as the Word of God. So often within our culture and world today, Scripture is seen as a reference point or an option of a guide in life. In the same way that believing Christ would be the determinative nature of every decision you make, some would say, well, you know, Scripture's there, but it's an outdated book uh, written by a bunch of old people and the time that's gone by. They really didn't know then what we know now. What we believe is there's a timeless truth to Scripture as the Word of God that guides us today. It's as true today as it was when it was recorded. Now what we're going to do is we're going to dive deep and we're going to embrace Wesley's concept that yes, are there difficult things to reconcile in Scripture? Absolutely there are. Did Paul say in Corinthians women shouldn't speak? Sure he did. Did Paul also have women speak in many other places? He absolutely did. Was his ministry actually built around the women? Yeah, it absolutely was. Here's what we learn. We learn from Wesley who says, you don't interpret the whole of Scripture by one verse. You interpret the one verse with the whole of Scripture. And so that's what we'll do. We will not abandon. We will not be literalist. We will not be fundamentalist. We will be people who believe Scripture is the Word of God. It will guide and direct our lives, and we will study the whole of Scripture, and we will ask, what part of Scripture is this? Is this law? Is this history? Is this teaching? We're going to do this together. The thing, we're going to trust the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, the image that I have about trusting the Holy Spirit is real simple. When you get wheeled into a room with very little to nothing on except this sheet, and half your body has been shaved. That's as far as I'm going. <laughs> and they have that IV right there. And sweet people are just sort of fluttering around. They say you're going to feel a burning in your arm. And we'll see you on the other side. You have to trust. I've got to have trust in that anesthesiologist. I've got to have trust in the electrophysiologist. I have to trust the two people behind the mask I'd never seen before. I had to trust in the nurse anesthetist who said this is going to hurt for a little bit but then you're just going to drift off. I had to put my full trust in these people and I wanted to be absolutely asleep. Thanks be to God I was. I have no clue what they did but it worked. I did make one request. I said, ma'am, I plead with you. I know I'm going to get a bill for this. I know this isn't free. How many of those little sticky pads have you put on my body so far? She said, about 30. I said, would you make sure every one of them gets ripped off while I'm still under anesthesiology? <laughs> I really don't want to wake up just to get my full price for this, right? I had to trust those people. 
I, there's not a moment of, of, of measured trust in that moment, is there? It's full trust. I'm either all in or I'm not. And I trusted Him. That's the kind of trust we have to have for the Holy Spirit. When we don't understand, when we don't comprehend, when we're filled with fear, when there's unknown, when we don't know how things are going to work, we have to trust. And we need to trust the Holy Spirit is God's way of moving in and through. That same Holy Spirit that not only ministered to Jesus when He came out of the wilderness, but that same Holy Spirit when He came out of the waters that drove Him into the wilderness. The same Holy Spirit that filled the room like tongues of fire upon those who were gathered. We've got to trust it. And we've got to trust it together. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to, the discipleship characteristic will be pursue holiness of heart and life. Now this is a distinctively Wesleyan characteristic. John Wesley had three general rules. I'll give you a Sunday off if anybody can tell me out loud right now what the three general rules that John Wesley said are. Anybody got them? All right, we're going to learn a little more about our Wesleyan theology. <clears throat> three general rules that Wesley said are, number one, do no harm. Number two, do good. And number three, attend to all the ordinances of God. Now, uh, that's been captivated by some within our Methodist tribe and family that we should just do no harm, which means don't offend anybody. Friends, let me give you a word that I think is important. Doing no harm isn't failing to do. In the same way that sin is understood of a sin of commission and a sin of omission, commission is what we commit. Omission is what we fail to do. We can do a lot of harm in this world by not doing something when we should. Right? They we're called to be God's people. We don't want to do harm by failing to do what we should. We want to do good and we want to attend to the ordinances of God. Wesley's influence that's going to make a hallmark of our witness is, Wesley talked about pursuing holiness of heart and life. That your heart and your life would align with the will of God. Isn't that exactly what Paul said in Ephesians? That you would align your heart with the will of God to have the knowledge of this, that surpasses the ability. This is who we are. Align yourself with God. That's what we want to see as a characteristic. So that when we make decisions as individuals, we ask, does this align with God? Another characteristic of a disciple that we want to grow in this church is People who live a life of prayer and worship. Live a life of prayer and worship. Worship isn't something we just do once a week. And prayer isn't something that should just happen before a meal. But worship and prayer should embody your daily life. In your daily devotional life, you're worshiping. In your daily devotional life, you're in prayer. And Scripture's witness is that we should pray without ceasing. Bonhoeffer says, prayer is the exhaling of my spirit and the inhaling of God's spirit. There should be a constant communication between you and God. In the words of the old hymn, your prayer every day needs to be, Have on our way, Lord, have on our way. Hold on my being, absolute sway. Make me and mold me after thy will, for I am waiting, yielded and still. We want to develop, character, we want to develop disciples that are defined by life of prayer and worship. Another characteristic is giving generously. Now some would expect, here we go, here's the stewardship sermon. No, that's in the coming weeks. 
But here's the fact. I'm just going to step on your toes while I'm aiming at your heart. I will tell you a fact. If everybody in this church would evaluate the way in which they support, in fact, if everybody in every church, if everybody in every church would support the church as much as you do Netflix and car payments, there's nothing we couldn't change in this world, and we would never have to talk about money again. But the fact is this. We expect that people will support the church. And I'm, I'm going to just tell you straight up. Financially, you would do something to support the church. That's an expectation of being in the family, that we do something. Now, it's not a matter of, it's not like in some churches. Some churches, actually, you bring your W-2, and you get assigned your tithe based on your W-2. I'm not going there. Can I get a witness? Right? That was laughter. That wasn't a witness. Right? I know exactly what that feels. Look, is money uncomfortable? Sure it is. Look, let's just get real. Do you think these lights pay for themselves? Do you think when we have to replace air conditioners, it just magically appears? No, I mean, it takes money. And what we do is we give to God a portion of what we do. The way what Sean and I do is we give by automatic giving. So we don't, even have, to, we don't, have, to, re, we don't have to remember. It's one of the gifts coming from last week's, the, the last sermon series, right? About getting your life back, right? It's a gift of technology we can automatically give. I just ask it this way. If everybody gave like you gave, what would this church be able to do? Just asking. So we expect folks will give generously. It means that you put that giving and priority in your life, not at the end, but in the front. And that you prioritize what you give as an expression of your thanks to God. So we expect that. And we hope that you will be faithful to it. We want to develop a characteristic that every disciple serves others. I'll tell you, this is probably the place that in this congregation, you understand it. Understand. You live this better than anything else. I just want to say to you, you know how to serve people. Partly because you've been through some rough, rough times. And you know the value. But it's not just serving others when natural disaster strikes. Right? It's serving others when you've got prison ministry, you've got society, you're bringing food, you're, you're serving others. And that's a beautiful thing. And we just simply want, I just want to say, of these characteristics, this is the one is in your wheelhouse, church. And we're going to just continue to flesh it out, develop and grow it. And then the one that is, is, is a bit of an add-on this year, to share the story of God's faithfulness in their lives. That as a characteristic, as a disciple, you would share the story of God's faithfulness in your life. Now I'm going to make you uncomfortable. Because we are going to be, in a sense, expecting that you share. But I want to tell you what that means. <clears throat> expecting that you share does not mean that you have to be in guerrilla evangelism. I mentioned that last week. It doesn't mean that you have to be confrontational. It simply means, and it doesn't mean you have to change anybody. What this characteristic says is that we expect and we desire and we believe that you will share the story of God's faithfulness. Do you know what I think this world needs from Christians more than anything else? I had you say a couple months ago, and I'll have you say it again. You're going to bump up against something that you're not going to be able to answer. 
It's going to be some faith question or some sort of hypothetical or whatnot. Do you know what the best phrase is? I don't know. You know what the second best phrase is? But God is faithful. God is faithful. Do you have to know everything to know that God is faithful? Do you have to explain everything to know that God is faithful? You don't. And what I think the world needs is for you and me as followers of Christ to be able to embrace the fact that the world is messy. I don't understand some things. There's some brokenness I don't understand. There's things that frustrate me. Even now, I've got friends who are trapped in Jerusalem right now who can't get out, who I'm hoping are safe. I want to know why the conflict happens. I want to know why they're sending thousands of missiles. I've got all kinds of questions. All kinds of questions. I want to know why children get cancer. I want to know why brokenness happens to people who are absolutely so committed to Christ. I want to know why the good things happen to the scoundrels in the world. I want to know why the Astros can't just win that. Or, I'm sorry. I got on a roll there, brothers and sisters. He said, we have questions. And so some of those questions that your faith can never explain, you just say, I don't know. But here's what I do know. Oh, there's an old hymn that used to be saying, I know in whom I believeth. Right? Tell them what you do know. There's a God who's faithful no matter what happens. There's a God who's with you no matter what is going on. There's a God who loves you to life eternal. There's a God who literally loved you to death on a cross that he might love you to eternity. Oh, friends, there's a God who's faithful. For great is God's faithfulness. My friends, this this is who we will be. This is who we are. We are God's people. But we don't do it on our own ability. We simply make ourselves available to the one who can do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. To him be all glory ascribed. That is the great good news. That we simply make ourselves available. And may I remind you that God does not Call the equipped. God equips those whom he calls. I believe that everything that we've experienced in the life of this church in the last 50 years is just a simple step of preparation for what God's going to do through you in this church in the coming years. But we can only go together as the church where you're willing to go individually as a follower of Christ. How far are you willing to go? Let's pray together. God, I give you thanks for your faithfulness. I give you thanks for an amazing community of faith that has been through times of struggle and resiliency, times of celebration. I give you thanks for a community that has seen lives transformed because Simply, people have made their sales available. From the helping of neighbors in times of the rising waters, to the moving into the prison, to welcoming our neighbor across the street, to shaping young lives of children in vacation Bible school, to helping the distinctive marks of the Christian life be known for our youth who are pulled and torn on every side. God, great is your faithfulness from men and women who gather in small groups. God, you're doing so much. So help us to... Continue to yield and give our lives to you for what you are desiring to do in each of our lives. God, there's no doubt that the troubles in the world are increasing, 
So what I believe we have to do is rely even deeper as people of faith on you. And let our, fi- our faith guide us deeper into your heart, deeper into your love, and deeper into the world. We pray these things, O oh God, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen.